great. <laughs> All right, so hi guys. Let's talk about the Satipatthana Sutra, and the things that I have to say are probably quite different than what you would expect. So listen carefully, and uh, and hear it like this. First off, that the Satipatthana Sutra is down the line from that which one needs to approach the Buddha Dhamma. And yet, it winds up being top dog in uh, the Goenka Vipassana method. They talk about the Satipatthana as if it were important, where basically the Satipatthana only is there to merely fill in some details. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. That in, and in actuality, the uh, Anapanasati Sutta is the uh, the actual method to find out how to practice, but we have to do that through the Eightfold Noble Path. Somehow or another, the Eightfold Noble Path has not gotten quite a lot of attention in the West. They go all the way. It's almost like we're interested in the bottom line. We're interested in the minutiae, and they never get a really good overall picture. And that's mm-hmm. what happens when we get down into the Satipatthana. It's almost the same as a third grader winding up in calculus class where he just doesn't have the foundations for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go back and fill in some of the foundations, if you don't mind, so that we'll begin to get a better handle on what the Satipatthana Sutra is really all about. And so at the top of the list, the Buddha says that he actually teaches only one thing. Have you heard that? That he teaches actually only one thing. There's a whole lot of stuff in the Satipatthana. Yeah, Dukkha and Dukkha Niroda. But he only teaches one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Niroda. Okay, and so that's what we've got to go for is the Dukkha, Dukkha Niroda. But the Dukkha, Dukkha Niroda is... Uh, happens in less time than it takes to say it. And yet the Western mentality is is that dukkha here, dukkha there, dukkha everywhere. I got to practice dukkha, 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 dukkha. Let me see this dukkha later to that dukkha. And I'm going to take that dukkha all the way down the rabbit hole of your dukkha. And someday sukkha will come by, but I don't know how. Okay, and that's the way that we're practicing, and the Buddha's teaching is dukkha, see it right now, and get out of the way right now. Yeah. That's what's missing in the Goenka method, is that immediacy (laughs) of value in the practice. Yes, Goenka wants us to, to, to dive deep into our dukkha, to really see it, and to really want to get out of it. (laughs) <laughs> so you really want guess what as soon as i see it i want out right now yeah well <laughs> actually it took me some time to you know but uh yeah <laughs> okay so that's one of the fundamental problems is dukkha dukkha everywhere and and why should we want to drink why should we want any of that stuff why do we have to see dukkha dukkha everywhere why don't we just close our eyes and take take a rest The answer is, is that that dukkha dukkha everywhere fits directly into the society that you live in, because after all, it's your job to fix it. For society, you've been taught that your society is broken, and it's your job to fix the society. You've got to fix things here. 
got to go mm-hmm. get a job. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, listen to all of the rules that you make up for yourself. That's what the whole practice is, is to start looking at the fact that we manufacture our own existence by telling us what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the whole teaching of the Buddha is actually based around the concept of Sila Bhatta Paramasa, which is the second fetter behind um, personality view. It's not so much that you have to see that you're not what you were told, but you also have to see all of that telling, too. So you can stop telling yourself what to be and who to be. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you could be whatever you want to be in this present moment. It's not predefined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have a choice in here. If you wake up to the fact you've got a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. If you had a choice about how you wanted to feel right now, would you feel as good as I do? Yeah, I'm practicing. I mean, uh, since I discover your teaching, <laughs> I'm I'm practicing it. I'm sure that's the whole idea. Yeah, this yeah. Is that you can wake up and re- recognize, hey, you can feel good right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And so, and so this is built right into the entire. First thing the Buddha says, dukkha, dukkha, naroda. Let's get out of them. Let's get out of it. Let's go find some sukha. Let's go find some joy right now. And this is what gives rise to the idea of the third noble truth, is get out of whatever it is that's causing us to be dissatisfied and come into a state of satisfaction right now. Right now, be satisfied. Okay. And there's a method to do that because a whole lot of people all of a sudden say, oh, I can't do that. That sounds like hard work. And the point is, is that, yeah, but that's just your confirmation bias. But if you can get it, you can enjoy it enough to say, hey, this is good enough to do a second time and a third time. Yeah. Practice feeling good. And there's a method. They call it the Eightfold Noble Path, but it's not a path because there's no place to go. Better mm. think of it as a door right in front ah. of you. And all you have to do is put in the key, turn the latch, and push and open the door. That's all there is to it. That there your paradise is. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that they're really, really far away from their paradise. They've got to practice and do this, that, and the other thing before they... Yes, I mean, I can understand those people because I've been there. I mean, and now I can practice what you are saying. Like, uh, it's been, uh, I don't know, like maybe several months that I'm practicing that you're saying. Like, I'm trying to be mindful of uh, my thought. And and as soon as I catch uh, an unwholesome, uh, an unwholesome uh, thought, I try to change it to uh, an unwholesome one. And and I, and I can I can do that now, because I've been doing those retreats and I was like, okay, stop dukkha, I don't want it anymore, you know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because yeah, and I'm, you know. Beautiful, congratulations. Very few students finally come to the point of enough already, Goanka. I'm finished with it. I've seen enough already. Let me get out of it now. <laughs> And he should have been saying, you can get out of it on the first day of every first retreat. 
Yeah, we are. No, he wants us to explore it. Yeah, but I think he wants us to explore it. And that's what I did, actually, when I was body scanning on my cushion, you know, like I explored it like really deeply. And I saw that I was so attached to it. I like I understand that. Let's talk about that for just a side moment. That is, is that if you really wanted to explore that count on the thing to do is to take a sample and put it with scientific equipment. But most people, when they hear that they've got to explore cow dung, that means that they got to jump in and wallow in it and like it was a mud puddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you lose your objectivity and then you are caught in it and you cannot. And that's what happened to me when I stopped the practice, actually. But that's when I... To every student, but if we can get stand away from it, then we can see it objectively and not be caring much about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let it yeah. pass. Like it does say, note it well and let it pass. Get it out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because when I was body scanning, I, I realized that my mind was caught, like where where I had a, a painful sensation, my mind couldn't get out of it. And I couldn't continue my scan because actually my mind was attached to the to the sensation, you know. So that's what I saw in my in my uh, uh, last sitting, and then I said, "But no, I have to remove my mind from this uh, from this dukkha, you know." So as soon as I saw it, I tried to move my mind in another sensation which was more neutral, you know. And then I explore uh, like uh, like the Goenka method, you know. But I I saw that my mind was so attached, and actually my dukkha uh, became my whole identity. That's what I saw. That's why I, I, I end up depressed and all. But it always uh, has been. Yeah. The dukkha is what defines us. That's the self. The self is how do we suffer? Exactly. What? When we are all completely joyful, there's not much to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I understand that some people can get caught in it if they don't practice properly, like if they if they cannot be objective, you know, this is the thing. Like if you cannot be objective with your dukkha, then you are caught in it, and you and you see only dukkha, and you are like a victimized and see, oh poor me, I've been through this and blah blah blah, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, you're now beginning to touch on a very important quality, and that is is that yes, we are all as victims. We can't beat ourselves, we can't talk, they put our clothes on, and by the time we're age of six, they start ordering us around. The West, do your homework. Learn your ABCs. Learn your one, two, threes. You got to work here. You don't work, you don't eat, and that start with age six or so, okay? And so we remain victims, but now instead of being a victim that is nurtured, oh, look at how beautiful baby, all goo goo gaga. Now it's... Go to your room. Yeah. <laughs> and so that whole transition we go through, but we keep the victimhood all along and we wind up being fully adults and still feel like that we're uh, not the hero of our movie, that we're mm. one of the victims. Mm. Okay. And, and so the whole idea then with the teaching of the Buddha is Part of the Eightfold Noble Path is to come out of our victimhood into our hero or a winner mentality. The Buddha was known as a lion. 
And the Pali word for this is sama sankapa, which is mm. one of the items on the Eightfold Noble Path that is wrongly translated as right uh, thought. More correctly translated as right intention, which has happened sometimes. But even a better way is right attitude. If you mm -hmm. have the attitude of a loser, then everything is hard. I got to work. And if you have the attitude of a winner, then it's done deal. I can do that. Hold my beer. I'll take care of that. That's the way we have it, is beginning to change our attitude. Another way that I like to talk about it, I heard this from a student. He says, <coughs> every one of us, every human being is an emperor of our own pile of dirt. Mm -hmm. That's just the case. Everybody is the emperor of their own pile of dirt. Pile of dirt in the sense of your memory systems and other things. All the stuff that you've accumulated and collected around you is the dirt. And mm -hmm. the point is, is that are you going to wallow in your dirt? You're going to be suffocated by it? You're going to be trying to crawl out of it? Are you just going to sit on top of your own work? Choice. Mm-hmm. Your choice. Are yeah, you choice. An emperor of your own pile of dirt and sit on top of the world? The Pali word for that, by the way, is Lokatara, on top of the world. Mm-hmm. So I have one, so, so one question here. Go ahead. So in your talks, you, you also talk a lot about hindrance, right? So Dukha, so Dukha is hindrance, is it? Um, actually, let us say that a hindrance is a form of Dukkha. It is a form of dissatisfaction, and often it's a subtle one that, in fact, people are not understanding they're dissatisfied. An example of that is having thoughts of revenge are quite delicious. Oh, I'm going to get him back. I'm going to trip him up if he walks down the hall. You know, that kind of thought pattern is actually quite delicious. We don't recognize that underneath that is the victim's mentality of he hurt me. He hurt me. And we don't pay attention to that. When we see the danger, not only do we see it, but we can weigh it against the gratification that we get. And we recognize that, hey, getting revenge does not give me the gratification that I would get if I just let it go. I don't care anymore. If I don't care anymore, now I'm at peace and quiet and I don't have to take revenge. Yes, so what about the uh, the third hindrance? Uh, I think it's translated as sloth and torpor. <clears throat> well, the first thing to say is, is that the hindrances are kind of like a pizza pie and we can slice it any way that we wanted to. Buddha kind of slices it in five ways. But this is actually just one pie. And that we have to understand that the, that the hindrances move around. For instance, if I want something that I don't have, then I'll become uncomfortable without it. And then I start to obsess about it and have restlessness. And then I'll worry about not being able to get it and now I'll think about, well, I'm doubtful now, and I go into a state of confusion. And so we can actually just kind of go around that wheel in hindrances. The, rest, the question is, is not which hindrance I, am I in, but can I wake up out of it and stop it? Which hindrance mm -hmm. it is, and how it got from this hindrance to that hindrance is not important. What's important is I can see that as a hindrance. 
see it as unholy mm -hmm. and throw it out. And so we can think, uh, uh, first off, ask the question, well, how do I know what's a wholesome thought and what's a wholesome The answer to that is, is that that's a skill that each student has to come to. That's one's own wisdom, is to know what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. But there are some indications of things that are downright unwholesome no matter what. And we can just assume that when we've got thoughts like that, that they're unwholesome. I gave you just an example. Thoughts of revenge, thoughts of getting even. Guess what? I think that people spend about half their thinking thoughts in that way. Getting even. Getting even with PayPal. Getting even with the bank. Getting even with the postman. Getting even with... <laughs> just uh, out there trying to set things right. And, and so, go ahead. And so when you see this hindrance, like uh, let's say uh, let's let's say we are talking about day-to-day -day life, not retreats, and you you see that hindrance in your head, like uh, I don't know, like thought of revenge, for example, or I don't know, jealousy, for example. Okay, and then you see the hindrance. So what are you supposed to go back? Because you're not in retreat, so are you are not uh, you are not. Aha! Aha! I see you. Aha! There you are, jealousy. I see you. Which is okay. different and oh no, jealousy, you're back again. I'm such a poor meditator, I can't handle this. Okay. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, which attitude are you going to have? And the attitude that we're developing is the attitude, ah, I got that one, I see that jealousy. So you ah, smile, basically, right? Revenge. Hmm? You smile at yourself, right? Yeah, smile at yourself, be friends with yourself. Recognize okay. that all of your terrible things are because you feel unloved because you won't love yourself. And when you start start loving yourself, warts and all, then you can naturally start to, you know, your complexion will clear up, so to speak. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of changing our attitude. And the way we change our attitude is through the practice of being successful at mm -hmm. taking unwholesome thoughts out of the mind and gladdening the mind. Making the mind yeah. itself better um, is sort of more like an understanding of our mental states rather than the thoughts. What, what mental state am I in? Am I down in yeah. the dumps? Grumpy? Am I uh, happy? Am I bright? So we look at the state of mind that we're in and then gladden and brighten that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And over and over again, we practice this. This is all about repetition. This is one's, the music of one's life. We can either mm -hmm. play noise in the samsara, or we can fine-tune the instrument and play music, but we're still going to be in that rhythm. Samsara doesn't quit. The question is, how are you going to pave the road, or are you going to fill it, keep it full of potholes? <laughs> yeah. Um... Amit, did you, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Amit, have you finished with your question or? Yes, because, yes, yes. Okay, because I want to uh, uh, keep on talking about hindrances. Uh, I wanted to know if uh, fear was a, a hindrance. Um, fear, it, de it depends upon which system and which tradition that you would go through. Obviously, fear is um, not wanting something. 
wanting mm-hmm. something to go away. What is it that you want to go away? Doesn't matter, but in this case, it's danger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so actually, fear is a basis or a form of ill will. But there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more to it than that. By looking at the fact that fear is the primary instinct. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's based with self-preservation. That mm-hmm. What's kept you alive so far your whole life is fear. That you, yep. you decided by fear just in time to not step in that road into oncoming traffic. We catch ourselves from time to time through fear and then stop doing something that was dangerous. So it's a natural mechanism inside that goes all the way down to our DNA. Yep. So that, that would mean that if somebody artificially feel, uh, gets to a state of fearlessness, they're probably not going to live very long. Right. We have to deal with wisdom also to see what's coming. We have to be able to intelligently see danger rather than reacting to it with feelings. Okay. Uh, I was asking. Okay. And so you were asking about fear, so I thought I'd throw a wrench at your ideas about fear. <laughs> yeah, I was asking about fear because that's what my that's what my uh, last experience in my retreat was. I ended up in panic because after those insights in dukkha and uh, the fact that I was attached to my sensation and to my um, uh, perceptions, because that's what I saw. I saw that I was... Have you ever heard of the 16 stages of insight? Of course. (laughs) Of course, right. What is step six? This is fear. Uh, Right? Right, Uh uh-huh. So, yes. As you're beginning to see the dukkha deep enough and go through the desolation, the thing that comes up is first fear, then misery, then disgust and despair, followed I know. by a strong desire to get out of it, followed yeah. by a yeah, redoubling well. of one's effort. And here we are now, that now it's time to put in right effort. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know where I am exactly, but the thing is that, okay, I... I um, well, I just talked you through so you don't have to go back to any of those places. Where you are is ready to practice. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to go back there. Because the, the thing is that why I, I got into fear is because I was disappearing, okay? And and, and it was scary. Well, congratulations. Say goodbye. No. <laughs> don't <it's> come di- <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah, but it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, it's for me. Well, it's difficult to say goodbye. Yeah, I, I fear to disappear. I'm sorry. It's, I mean, it's not so easy. Like I'm like, so okay. So I'm disappearing, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm scared. Here's a trick. Here's a trick. Say goodbye happily, and it would come back reading him as a friend. <laughs> so I have one question here. <clears throat> yes, uh-huh. So I was um, reading Anapanasati Sutta after last talk with you because you <clears throat> emphasize a lot on this uh, Sutta. And uh, I find it very positive, right? As you are developing in practice, everything is kind of, you know, you are developing through seven factors which are all positive, right? So fear is not one of them. And also then you are going into this uh, jhanas, these absorptions. 
But well, actually, the Anapanasati Sutta is specifically designed to take the mind into first jhana. Yes. Hmm. And I was wondering, how did uh, then we take various objects in the Dhamma Nupassana? Because we're already in first jhana, we've removed the hindrances, and because we have no obstructions or unwholesome things to look at, now all we have is wholesome things to look at, mm -hmm. like the mechanism of how the mind works. Yes. So another way of saying it then is, is by getting into first jhana, we're getting the mind fit for work so that we can see how the mechanism works. Yes. So this 16 so path model is not based. Turning a guitar up into tune so you can see what it sounds like. And it's out of tune. We don't know whether it's a uh, you know a, a ten dollar guitar or a million dollar guitar. When it's out of tune, you tune it up. Then you can hear the difference. Okay. So yes. Um, getting so my... the mind in tune is what we're talking about with the first jhana. And once you've got the, the mind in tune. Now you can play various frets. You can go to the other genres because that's merely just taking an object. And one of the objects to take is perception itself. But most people are not sharp enough to see how their mind works. So we go through the process of teaching the students about the teacher Samupada, but we want them to get a mind that's fit for work so that when I talk about it, you'll understand you what I'm talking about. Okay. And so this is why we go back to Anapanasati and start cleaning things out. Okay, cleaning out the unwholesome thoughts and then clean out the unwholesome sleepiness that's in the body that the whole point about Anapanasati is to wake the body up, get it vibrantly alive, comfortable, and then finally relaxed. Get the body relaxed. Well, I don't see how that's really easy to do when you're practicing uh, strong determination sitting, sitting longer than you actually can. Buddha would teach to, 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 to sit still only as long as it's comfortable and then make whatever adjustments that you need to get the body back into a state of comfort again. Yes. Right? Because if the body is not comfortable, full of tensions or anxiety or whatever, then how are you going to be able to relax it? And if you can't relax the body, how can you relax your feelings? And so uh, more to that, that we cannot even watch the breath and make it a long breath without actually paying attention to it. With So we're training the mind by training the body in the same way that would happen in music, in sports, in uh, uh, martial arts or whatever, that we train the mind by training the body. And here, we're training the mind to stay focused on taking long, deep in-breaths, while at the same time, we're focused also on changing the state of mind by gladdening the mind. The easy way to do that is by talking to ourselves about really wholesome things. When we're talking and thinking about unwholesome things, we're likely to wind up in dukkha. But if we're talking with ourselves about wholesome things, then we begin to feel good. So thinking about how safe you are is much more uh, appropriate thoughts to think than to think about 
the dangers that might occur. Because right now you're safe. Mm-hmm. So enjoy the fact that right now I'm safe. There's nothing to fear. Even mm-hmm. when the mind gets d- into d- disillusionment, there's still nothing to fear. Yeah, let me dissolve. <laughs> Will I come back? <laughs> yeah, may come back all the too soon. So we, we get ourselves into a state of comfort and safety and security. And with safety, comfort, and security that we're talking ourselves into and gladdening the mind, we bring about a state of satisfaction. And this state of satisfaction along with safety and security and comfort is actually the Pali Dictionary's definition of the word sukha, which is exactly opposite of the word dukkha. So if you're sitting here feeling safe and secure and comfortable and satisfied and successful, but you got this thing wired, where's your dukkha? No, I got no dukkha, I'm fine. I don't want to change anything. Everything is okay right now. Enough already. Okay. Now, this word sukha is actually a word that's used along with other language that we're looking at here in the description of the first jhana. That we have to get the mind into a state of pleasure, into a state of sukha, into the state of satisfaction. Everything is okay. Don't need, don't need a second or third dessert. Thank you very much. I'm full now. Got what I need. All I need to do is to keep breathing and stay alive. And that's all I need to do. This next breath. Let me take it and make it a good one. And as we develop this state of satisfaction and success, that is what the, uh, the Pali talks about in the sense of piti sukha is part of the Vedana and the Anapanasati Sutra. So here is where we see clearly with the relaxation of the body and feeling really good as well as feeling on top of the world with the mind is clear of hindrances, we apply the mind to that and then we keep practicing over and over again and that's the sustain. Guess what? We've got all five jhana factors now. We've got freedom hindrances, we've got sukha, we've got pity, and we've got applying of the mind and sustaining the mind, and so this is the object that we take when we're working in first jhana is to keep the mind applied and sustained, the object of brightening the mind, getting the mind in a good state, and really and so we call focusing on that to make sure that every thought is wholesome, one after another, thought after another wholesome thought, thank you. And that's the state of first jhana. And there will be work. Now we can apply the mind to what it needs to be applied to because we're already applying the mind to what it needs to be applied to, and that is applying and sustaining the mind, keeping it wholesome. Over and over. You're quite pleased that you can keep it. It gives you quite a joy to know that you can now control your mind. You know that you can do this, no matter how obstructed the mind gets. 
you can have the confidence that you can come back to a mind that is wholesome and do it right now so that you can see the way things are really are rather than seeing the way uh, seeing things the way you feel that they are to actually see mm. it because you're not in the way anymore you've removed all those hindrances all of those and you're looking and applying and looking and looking recognize everything's okay now and you can do that right thing right there as you're being arrested or as you're being shot or as you're being wheeled into the hospital into the morgue doesn't matter what happens I can handle it I can do it I can do that if I can take a deep breath at least I'm still alive. <laughs> and if it's my last, I'm going to know that and watch really close. That many people think about uh, Buddhism is, in fact, that the really reason why we're really looking at our breath and learning to control it is because we really need to pay attention to that last thought. And if that last thought is of peace and quiet and contentment, then that may be the absolute end of it. So get ready to die. Happily. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? If you can die happily, then what problem is big enough in life that it's a problem? If I'm going to die, then after I'm dead, whatever it was that I cared about, I'm not going to care about it anymore. Why should I care about it now? Let it go. Yeah. Okay, so that's actually the teaching of Anapanasati is how to open. I stop grasping at things and just be open. Don't cling to anything or in the way that I'm talking about it, don't care about anything. Nothing's important to get you upset. Is that right? Anna? Nothing's important enough to get you upset. <laughs> yeah, well. Because you're still alive. You're still breathing. That's the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at some point the breath stops. And maybe it's scary, no? <laughs> right. Well, that's the whole point is when the breathing stops, are you struggling because it stops because somebody's got their hands around your throat? No. Well, okay. hopefully no. <laughs> so, so, so it stops when it, it gets tired of breathing and just says, "Well, I'm going to rest now. I'm just not like a couple." <laughs> Old and tired. Just never mind. I'm not going to cling to this breathing stuff anymore. I've had enough of it. I've enjoyed about as much of this breathing as I can stand. <laughs> All has to do with your attitude. But if your attitude is, oh no, I want to stay alive and you're not staying alive, then that's dukkha. Who wants dukkha even at the point of death? Why not at least plan on having sukha at the point of death? Hey, I can handle dying right now. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't stop it, I might as well enjoy the show. <laughs> looky, looky, wakey, yeah. wakey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wakey, wakey. <laughs> okay. 
And in fact, that wakey wakey is what we mean by sati, to really wake up to the fact that you're dying. Mm. You've already got a death sentence. You're going to be dead in five minutes if you don't take the next breath. Why don't you make the best of it? <laughs> I mean, people uh, dance with joy when they pay their mortgage off. And what's a mortgage? You've still got your breath. Why don't you celebrate your breath, this breath, the way that you would by getting out of debt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that in fact, debt is one of the uh, analogies that the Buddha uses for hindrances. That we have hindrances in the sense that we carry burdens or we have debts to pay. We've got to work. And when we can bring the mind into the position of, well, right now I don't have to pay those debts. Right now I'm debt free. I don't owe anybody anything. I can just sit here and enjoy this retreat. Let's have a ball. I don't owe anybody anything. So that's the way that we can get out. I mean, get out of jail free. Why? Because you're the one who made the bars. <laughs> and what are these bars? It's all the rules that we make for ourselves. You're supposed to be this way and you're supposed to be that way. And if you're not, then we're not friends. And so we, everybody winds up being not friends with themselves. Ideas tend to become drop the bars. In fact, you can drop all your rules and just keep one. Just one little rule is all we need to keep to, keep, to manage our whole life. You know what that one rule is? Everybody got an idea? Change, uh, drop the unwholesome and change it to wholesome. Yeah. Right, exactly. So the answer to that in the poly would be Duca Duca Naroda. That's the only rule we've got is see the Duca and step out of its way. Mm -hmm. You keep doing that, and you can handle anything. You can handle anything. And so this is the practice of, that we practice. This is the actual meditation, is to practice putting the mind in the wholesome state, getting the body relaxed and satisfied, content, so that we can get let the mind become content, and then we can feel content, safe, secure. Satisfied. Now we repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and that rinse and repeat part is the applied and sustained thought that gives this state quality of first John. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Rinse the hindrance right out of the hair, mind, and enjoy the moment. But again. So, that's so all there is to it. go ahead. So, uh, you say that uh, first jhana is sufficient, right? I said what? You say that first jhana is sufficient. First jhana is all you need to mm -hmm. see what you need to see. And when okay. you see things closely, that's the definition of those other jhanas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the second object, after the first of applied and sustained thought, the second object is to look at without verbiage or talking yourself into it, but just experience how good you feel. Mm -hmm. Don't have to think about it. Don't have to talk about it. You just sit there and, ah, oh, mm -hmm. Okay, that's the second time. 
and then you recognize that that's more work than you even want to put in, and so you just sit there satisfied. It's the third job. They go by taking good objects. So you first take applied sustained thought, then you take pity as your object, then you take sukha as your object, etc. As you take these various objects, they normally happen in a very short time. We don't take these objects very long because the mind starts back up. So the question is, we have to really develop the first jhana. Mm. That's why we apply and apply and sustain, sustain and sustain, because the mind is likely to fall into the higher jhanas, but it doesn't have any control. Learn the control is through the first jhana. Fully mm -hmm. establish the first jhana, then the rest of the jhanas you can do them. You will mm -hmm. naturally go and take those as objects. The question is, what's going to happen after you come out of that state? Because actually you could say that these are normal states for humans. Mm -hmm. The second jhana is actually a normal state. The kind of people who get into that state are like boxers or uh, race car drivers or people who have to be really, really sharp. Imagine, in fact, that the uh, humanity learned that by two dudes, probably naked, with nothing but a spear, are out on the hunt, and they see a wild boar. And the wild boar sees them and takes off running through the thickets. If those guys don't keep an eye on that wild boar, you'll get away with them. So no matter what they do, no matter what thickets they have to run through, no matter what tree limbs they have to climb across, they keep their eye on that boar. Mm -hmm. So we have these normal states that we have as humans, but we don't develop them to that level. Mm. So here we're actually going to get a chance to intentionally get the mind so sharp that we can keep our eye on, literally, the mind's eye on an object without falling aside or another side. Another example of, imagine a Formula One race car driver, and he's out there on the heat of the battle, up at around 200 miles an hour and pushing it, and a little old lady steps out onto the, uh, to the road, kind of right in front of him. If he has the thought, oh, lady, you should not be here, he'll kill her. Mm. He's got to swerve his car much faster than it takes to have that thought. You shouldn't be here. Mm. Okay, so this is the kind of thought that we want to start developing so that we get really fast at watching what the mind is doing. And that speed of being able to see perception and operation is, in fact, part of the genre, to be able to be that fast to see what's going on, which requires a whole lot of stability. Mm. And so the real issue that the Buddha is talking about is not all of these jhanas. The problem with the jhanas is people keep lusting for higher numbers. Mm. We want higher numbers from the bank account. We want higher numbers from Social Security numbers. We want higher numbers of, of, uh, in voting. We want higher numbers in our job. Everything is about higher numbers. And so we come to the jhanas and recognize, oh, there's eight of them. Let's have ten. <laughs> keep piling on because we like numbers. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is, is that, no, what we really need to do is to get the mind satisfied composed, fit for work, happy, and then with that kind of really sharp mind, start paying attention to things that need paying attention to. Like what is fear? Where does it come from? How do I get myself into it? How do I get myself out of it? 
Yeah. Pull up feelings. Okay. Do we control our feelings by talking ourselves into feeling good? We've been taught. We've actually been in control of feelings all along. We just happen to be talking ourselves into feeling bad. That's how we control. Now it's time to start talking ourselves into feeling good. Do it over and over again because you need to kind of balance out because you've been talking yourself into feeling bad over and over again, especially in Gawanka retreats. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't do that since a long time. I don't do I, like I'm not. Oh, no, I'm I'm not on my breath. I'm, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Great. That's the whole point of being able to talk this stuff out and understand that, oh, no, I have a choice now. And I can be in a state of absolute satisfaction. I'm okay. Then we can make jokes about everything because we don't care about anything. Everything becomes uh, a punchline. Or another way of saying it, this is kind of an interesting way of saying it, and that is the entire universe, the whole world, is nothing but a joke. I'm the punchline. <laughs> yeah, nice. Every time I come up, I punch myself. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. this is actually a good introduction to Anapanasati is to be able to see that it's all about to remember to take a look and then make a change and then enjoy the change. This is the Eightfold Noble Path, over and over and over again. To wake up, take a look, make a change, and then get that state of joy. Yeah, we could do this. Got this wired. Buddha was a lion, they say. Okay, that's the attitude that we attitude can do. Mm -hmm. Don't need a thing. Which winds up being kind of the strong silent type. But there's no reason to complain. So we don't complain anymore. There's nothing to complain about. Almost all human speech is complaining. Or sucking up so that they don't have to complain. And so when we have nothing to complain about, there's not much to say. Talk about the Dhamma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, why don't we finish here? We'll take up each of you whenever you call next time. Okay. It would be a good place to, uh, to, to stop in the sense of really understanding how the noble truths and the Eightfold Noble Path is actually not a path. It's a doorway to be open, and the way that we open that is with Anapanasati, of enjoying the present moment, enjoying this breath, enjoying controlling the mind on the in and the out breath. Most important, drop all of our troubles. And, and um, it comes up. Just I don't have to do that right now. About Anapanasati, do you have a good translation that we can uh, read uh, online? Uh, I think uh, there's bunches of translations online. The one that I would almost myself go to naturally 
Yeah. Suta Central. Oh, Suta Central. The translation okay. is good, but because okay. they're all kind of bad, but at least I can mix the poly line by line with the, uh, the Suta itself. So you can use the English then to get to the place that you want to find, then go into the poly. Start to figure out what the words mean, because most of the translations are not good. Now, a way to start understanding uh, how the translations work is by uh, reading okay. books by mm -hmm. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Actually, when he gave them, they were talks. Mm -hmm. They've mm -hmm. been translated into English. And you can get this off of the uh, Google by just by just typing in Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Okay. And that there's uh, the books that I would recommend starting. Okay. Has he translated the... These have been translated out of the Thai into English. And what is the name of the book? Sorry? The ABCs of Buddhism. Ah, okay. The ABCs of Buddhism. Okay. The next one is The Handbook to Mankind. Sorry? The, the what? Handbook to Mankind. Handbook to Mankind. Okay. Uh -huh. That actually reminds me of a joke that when the mother has her new baby, she says, Damn, where's the instruction manual for this thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> well, Bhikkhudadas is written on it. It's called The Handbook to Mankind. Okay. <laughs> so, guys, this has been delightful. I really appreciate you sitting yeah. here. Yeah, thank you so much, Tamarato. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any last questions? Either one. Uh, maybe next time. Yes, yeah. thanks a lot, Damarato. It was, uh, it was really great. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Glad you both enjoyed it. May you feel good right now. Thank you. Yeah, may yeah. you feel good right now. This is a really good one. Wow, what a good moment this is. Thank right. you for your teaching. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, <laughs> Amit. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.